0: Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Welcome. This is Joe McCall. You are at the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, Got some cool things to talk about today. This is going to be a podcast about creative deals. We've talked about it a lot on the show. I love creative real estate because if you're just a one trick pony and you're just offering cash offers to everybody, you're going to really, really struggle in this business. And there's a lot of sellers that want to sell that can't. There's a lot of buyers that want to buy right now, but can't. While the whole competitive real estate investing world is going after either the deeply discounted properties or the buyers that have perfect A-plus credit, everyone's going after them. What about the rest of the majority of people out there looking to buy or sell their home? We're going to talk about ways that you can help sellers and buyers and win yourself on creative financing deals on this podcast. Cool? So we got a special guest. I'm going to bring him on in just a second. First, I want to talk about... Yes, can't talk about it enough. My new book, REI Secrets. You can get it free. Just pay shipping and handling at reisecrets.com. And this is a book, it's thick. I can't believe it. Daily nuggets of real estate investing wisdom that are going to help you get more leads and close more deals. Those of you who have been listening to my show for a while, I do these REI in your car podcasts where I'm driving in my car and I just record things from deals that we're working on or coaching calls that we have or uh, uh, whatever, just thoughts about real estate investing, about the business of getting more deals about marketing automation and delegation, which is my kind of like the main three themes of anything that I publish and produce. And I've condensed them all into about a hundred little two to three page chapters in here that you can read, like just read one chapter a day. This chapter is called, are you committed to making this work? Mm, I talk about, are you actually taking it seriously? How about this one? Oh, it's my favorite chapter. It's called I Love Marketing. Yeah, I talk about why marketing is so important. Make 10 offers a day on the MLS. What? Yep. You can do that. It's not that hard. Is this four-letter word stopping you? So just, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to the collection or the order of the chapters. They're just intended to be something you can stop and read in a one day and gets a little bit of motivation and wisdom to excel and succeed in your real estate investing business. I'm excited about it. And you can get the book for free at reisecrets.com. Come on, reisecrets.com. Just pay a little bit of shipping and handling and you can get it for free. Cool. So on today's show, I'm excited. I got a guy on here who's from Texas. Who's actually from the beautiful city of St. Louis, the beautiful city where the Cardinals are in first place in the division right now, and the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup last year. His name is Lit- – I'm, I'm, I'm going to get his name wrong, and I'm sorry, but it's Nick LaGamaro. It, well, let me just bring him on and see how I did. Nick, are you there?
1: I'm here, Joe. Thanks for having me. And by I, the way, you probably said it better than I do most of the time. So uh, know, that's the Italian – uh,
0: I love it. Name, and, so. and you're from an area in St. Louis that is known as the Italian area, the hill I am. where some that of the best correct. restaurants in St. Louis are from is I, you know, I'm kind of new to St. Louis. I mean, I've only been here 16 or 18 years, but I moved <laughs> here when I was in my thirties and uh, late twenties, actually is the hill actually really, is there a large population of Italian families there?
1: Well, it used to only be Italians. I think in a, uh, there's actually, I haven't been there in a couple of years, but um obviously as uh people age on and you know kids want to move to the suburbs the the desirability is not quite as probably you know it's just not as desirable in areas living in the suburbs and the newer construction house but you know it's been they had an association and they grew in a very active you know not really a homeowner's association, but it's a cool place. If anybody ever gets to St. Louis, there's some of the best bakeries I've ever been to, Italian bakeries, some of the best Italian food and, and uh, delicatestants and stuff like that. It's uh, And there's just a ton of history on the hill, too. I mean, I mean, some great names were from the hill. You know, Joe Garagiolo, Yogi Berra. Uh, just, there's more, too. I'm trying yeah. to think. Joe, no, not Joe Torre, but there's one other one. I can't think of who it was. But they're all, you know... Legends, especially when it comes to St. Louis baseball, Stan usual used to have a place down not too far from there. Yeah, um, you can't beat the food, and uh, the people are just as nice.
0: Nice. Well, if you're ever back in St. Louis, you want to go there for dinner or drink cappuccino. Wait. Let's do there it. you
1: go. We'll find something. <laughs> Get a cannoli, right? Yes. Can't, yeah. can't go wrong with a cannoli.
0: I was just in Little Italy a week ago, and uh, in New York City, in right in the Manhattan. They have a little Italy there, and uh, it was the uh, Italian festival or something like that. I don't know if I've ever been in as much a small area that had so many people as that evening <laughs> in New York City. It was insane, and um, but it was a lot of fun, and I had uh, too many cannolis.
1: <laughs> I ate <laughs> too many of them. To do. <laughs> not hard to do. I can tell you that.
0: Cool. So, Nick, thanks for being on the show. I want to talk about creative deal structuring. Um, you've been doing a lot of deals in the Texas area. Uh, you're living in Texas now, right? What, what part Correct. of Texas?
1: I'm in, the, I'm in the Dallas area. So, um, you know, we've been doing business. I've been doing the seller financing, creative deal structuring uh, since probably uh, since 10-11, after, after the last uh, recession. And that was really a, the, re- the reason how we got into it was just to, as a preventive mechanism for, you know from preventing from a downturn in the economy you know i didn't want to have you know i tried to figure out a way how i could control real estate versus own it because i didn't want to get left holding the bag and you know as you know 600 and something transactions later you know i think we did we've done a pretty good job of figuring out what that looks like and really how to how to build a, a very profitable you know successful business and more importantly be able to provide home ownership to people that have been told they can't you know, buy. That's really the 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 baseline or the the foundation of everything that we we do. So, and it's worked out really well. It's a it's truly, truly is a win 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 uh, all across the board.
0: So, talk about what your business looks like today, and then I want to ask you some questions about how you got into this.
1: Yeah. So, I think uh, the in a, in what we do is not. Difficult. It's very, it's just complex. And I think the, the best way to describe it is if you look at what a wholesale, a wholesale deal looks like, or even a fix and flip from acquisition to disposition, it's very, it's fairly definable, right? There's not a whole lot of, you're not dealing with Dodd-Frank or Safe Act or, you know, CDs or buyer qualifying or RMLOs, all that other stuff that goes along with seller financing. There again, it's not that it's difficult; it's just complex, and all those things uh, that usually scare people away are actually benefits, in my opinion, to the seller because it just adds another layer of, not necessarily security, but another layer of evaluation. You know, from a professional standpoint, from an expert that really is underwriting a borrower's file and making sure that they are who they say they are, or you know, going through a uh, a third party servicing company to make sure payments are made, they're posted. We're in Texas, so we deal with a lot of Hispanics and a lot of Spanish speaking people just by the nature of where we are. So there's obviously a language barrier there sometimes. So the ability to have somebody that's bilingual in, in, in-house on a third party level from the servicing or RMLO is extremely valuable to what we do.
0: Cool. So what is it? Can you talk a little bit more about what you do? Like um, are you? Yeah, guys-
1: so we so we what you know, so what we do is primarily is we, we buy, we fix, we sell which is what a lot of people do, but instead of selling it to a re through the retail channel, like to a, uh, a, re- a, a retail buyer that's looking for a single family house, that's going to go through the traditional, you know, loan process and through a realtor, we sell or finance it basically. And we create our own, uh, we create our own buyers list. And as a result of that, we underwrite our own buyers, we become the bank. At the end of the day, we are the bank. Yeah. And it's not that hard to do because you don't have to have a lot of money because you can still do the deal process the same way all the way through, except when you get ready to sell, instead of selling it to a retail buyer, you're selling it to a, a person that needs you know, seller financing. And why this is important is because if you look at where things are going and where we've been, um, the numbers are dramatic. And I don't mean... In a, in a small way they're dramatic in a large way the number of entrepreneurs today versus 10 years ago it's astronomical the people that work for themselves they're self-employed they can't run down the chase or fargo or b of a or wherever they're going to get a loan from and get qualified the qualifications are too too stringent in fact you know i was just reading a report the average decline credit score is way over 700 now so you have to have a credit score above no i'm dead serious the minimum is even, you know, the minimum is 620, but you know, there's the, the because there's other factors that go into that, that loan application. There's uh, besides the credit score, there's your employment. Are you a W-2 employer? Are you self-employed. If you're 1099, well, really hard to get it right now. Um, you also got things like DTI, which is your debt to income ratio. You know, the banks got their hand slapped pretty darn hard at the end of 2007, yeah. eight, nine timeframe. And when interest rates are are historically low as they are they really want to mitigate their risk so you see a lot of things that come in on the retail market and i'm sure a lot of listeners that have done fix and flips have thought they were going to sell it for x and end up getting an appraisal back and it's 10 percent lower and it's not necessarily because the house isn't really worth that much it's just because they're erring on the side of being conservative because the more money they can get down on the deal and less they're loaning out relative to that asset that property the less exposure that they have so we just take so it goes back to it, you know it goes back to economics 101 and which is supply and demand and if you look at a neighborhood for example joe all you see up and down this, in, in the neighborhood is our real estate or realtor signs right they're listed with keller williams or century 21 or whoever it might be well that's a traditional transaction so there's you know a lot of things have to go the right way for that deal to go down in a timely timely manning, right? The the, the buyer is going to be extremely, um, if they can qualify through a conventional or FHA or VA loan, they're going to be picky because they, the, they have the control. They have access to all that other inventory and they, they control the hammer per se, right? They have the ability to go out and find the house that they want the way they want it and make the offer that they, they want. And the seller either takes the deal or they don't take the deal. And it really becomes at that point what what's the motivation level of the seller? And a lot of times in the retail market, you we we will see sellers that panic. We see sellers that sell for less than what they probably could get because they panic because it takes because they have all this capital and cash out, and now uh, it's taking longer to sell. They're not getting not getting traction because there's so much inventory out there for retail buyers to choose from. The opposite holds true on a seller finance model. If you can't provide seller financing, look, it's almost 50 50. I mean, it's almost right now in the next two to three years, the number of people that need to buy with seller financing versus traditional money or traditional lending is almost 50 50. So, but the market on the retail market isn't nowhere near 50 50. It's probably 98% retail and 2% seller financing. If it's even that, if it's even that good. So, You have a huge imbalance there. So when you can control and be on the side of limited supply with high demand, you can dictate the terms of the deal to your favor. And that's what we've done. Not that we're trying to gouge and not that we're trying to overprice. What it allows us to accomplish, it allows us to accomplish getting maximum retail price based on the true value of the property. But more importantly, it allows us to get velocity it gets velocity. So we get to take the same capital stack and we can turn that capital over and over again, much quicker than we could in a retail environment. And that's how we become extremely profitable.
0: So you, you're at, your main model now is to go buy properties. You take them down and then you rehab them. There's some guys out there, Nick, that, um, they just buy crackerjack properties. And, um, maybe that's not the right word. Like really crappy, junky properties, distressed
1: right? properties, yes, three sided houses, burnouts, yeah, whatever. yeah,
0: and don't do anything to them and then turn around and yes. sell them with owner financing. Do you do that, first of all? No, I don't, I, I don't. And Good, we've done it those are the guys that Go you ahead. see in the local news. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you got to be careful with that. Oh, you got to totally. be really careful. I would we have done it a very few
1: times, I would say out of 600 plus transactions, maybe you know a handful and the only reason why we did it was because the borrower was qualified to do the construction they had their own construction company they were roofers or you know general contractors painters whatever it might be and they had the ability and the infrastructure to do that that they wanted to do the work themselves and it's a very it's a it's a difficult that's a difficult play I, would, I mean it's not uh, it's not where I like to go. I plus here's the thing with that is that you got to be really careful where you price it. So when I fix a house and I build it to a retail, you know everything we finish out, I, I've always built you know, we want to build a quality product that you know it's not going to be brand new, but it's going to be extremely safe and livable and with that we want it to be um, affordable and we don't want somebody to be able to come in and have to sink a lot of cash in after the fact the one reason why this one of the biggest reasons why this model works well there's there's several of them but getting back to the uh the original question why we don't do it is because we can't get maximum value okay for example i'm just going to use a throw out a round number i just know these numbers so i just i just cracked the code out on this so let's just say that i'm going to make sure i get the right thing let's just say you have a property that's worth a hundred thousand dollars so you can max, you get max value, when you can build it out to hundred thousand dollars. In a seller finance model, um, in in a in a high growth area where, where, where properties that properties continue to appreciate regularly, you might be able to go three to five. You might go three to five percent above retail price because seller financing. There's a, there's a, there's a little bit more risk. The borrower's not quite as qualified as some other types of borrowers. But you can't. You know, we're not going to sell a hundred thousand dollar house for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. That's just that's just ridiculous. Especially when our cost basis is seventy or seventy five percent of that, right? So if you look at a cost basis of seventy five percent, okay, which is I think very middle of the road for most people. So your cost basis is seventy five thousand dollars. You sell or finance it. You get a small down payment. You know, we take no less than ten percent. I highly recommend no going any lower than that. But a lot of people take lower we want to have equity we want to have the borrower to have an equity position in that property it's important because you don't want to take these houses back that's not yeah. our business model yeah. you know you want them to succeed you want them to have a property that they own for a long time and they have pride in ownership and if they get into a situation they can turn around and sell it and at least get their you know get out without being uh, upside down, which is what happens in a lot of situations. So going back to my example, $100,000, the P&I, principal and interest on a $100,000 loan at 10% interest, now 10% interest, that's awful high. Well, is it really? And here's the reason, here's the question I ask. Well, first of all, you don't want to pay 10% interest, then go down to Chase or Wells Fargo or Bank of America and go get qualified and get a 4.5% note. No, that's stopping. You're more than welcome to buy the property that way. So then the next question is, well, it's 10% too high. Well, no, it's not because the government says you can charge up to 6.5% above APR, which is an annual prime offer rate, which is an index like LIBOR or something like that. It adjusts, adjusts weekly and you just pull the rate and you set it up. And that's what we do. And it's a little bit, you know, it's probably, I could, I could technically write probably a 10 and a quarter right now. I don't know what the rate is today, um, but we keep it at 9.9. So the question becomes, well, which for, by the way,
0: that usually that payment at that 10% interest is about what the rent would be anyway.
1: That's exactly where I was going to. That was the next thing I was going to say. So if you, if you're in the right price band and you right affordability, because like this model doesn't work for $300,000 houses, you know, this this model is something you want to keep it below the median home price for in an area for say, like for example, Dallas, our median home price is now over $200,000 the maximum affordable house price that I can probably safely sell to a a borrower is probably in the 165 to 175 price point. So I'm below the median, which is where I wanna be. And I'm still at affordability because what's really important is that, and the question is what's the interest rate on rent? You know, if you're making a $1,000 a month rent payment, how much is your interest? Well, you can't calculate it because it doesn't exist. If you got $1 back, of that thousand dollar a month in some kind of a rebate or something, you can figure out what the interest expense is. It's a lot higher than 10%. Plus, you're not getting the benefit of the tax write-offs, you're not getting the depreciation or the appreciation, I used to say, of the house moving forward. So in this example, the P and I is 965 Well, if you so think about it this way. So the majority of the notes that we've ever written, we did with wrap mortgages, and we had to show with lenders what it what that was, and we basically collateralized the notes. And we pledged the note that we write because we always have borrowed money, just like you would borrow money for a fix and flip from a hard money lender or a private lender or wherever it might come from. You know, we borrow, you know, 10 and two, 12 and two, but it didn't really matter. And here's the reason why, because we were in a 75 cents cost basis, right? So if I'm borrowing $75,000 uh, on a, at 12, just call it 10%, but I'm writing a note at hundred thousand dollars at ten percent. It's still not even equal because I'm paying interest only on the front side, and I'm creating amortized money on the back. So it doesn't even—it's not even a fair fight at the end of the day. But I'm only keeping that money in there short term, so I can have the ability to to build that note up and then sell the note, you know, for a small discount. And the net net of that transaction is um, the profit, it's a it's still a transactional deal, but we, we realized a long time ago that on the same asset, the same property, we were able to get an extra 10, 15, sometimes 20% more money on the same property because we were able to create the, create the financing and so on. So 960. So let's just say that you were able to use private money. So you could get private money and somebody was going to give you 20 year money at, um, I don't know, say 7 or 8%. It doesn't really matter the number. I use 10%. The cost basis is 75 So the yield on this model right here is about almost 15% because I'm getting 10% money on $100,000 and I'm only paying 7 or 8% or whatever the number is on 75 So,
0: What, would your, what would your approximate cash flow be on this?
1: Um, I didn't figure that out. It's, it's going to be more than rent. Most of the time, it's more than rent, which is extremely important. And we see, at the end of the day, we're controlling the property, not owning it. And, you know, we the whole model is how do you be the bank, right? We want to be the bank. Bank of America doesn't own apartment complexes or rental portfolios, not by choice. They might take something back in an REO, but they don't keep that on their books for a very long period of time. So they don't have to because they can lend money out and your cash flow Joe, do you have a mortgage on your house? Or have you ever ever had a mortgage on your house? Yeah. How many times in your life, your mortgage, most people write 30 year mortgages. I don't know how many years you ever had a mortgage. How many times did you ever call the lender? How many times did you call the bank for any reason? Never. Can you remember any time?
0: Well, when I, yeah, back when the market crashed, I was calling my lender to negotiate uh, shorts. Well, that's a little
1: bit different. You ever call them when the roof leaked or the, the plumbing backed up, or you need a new dishwasher, or you know the window breaks, or the door lock doesn't work, or the washer and dryer. I wish I work.
0: wish I could.
1: <laughs> you wish you could. Well, guess what? I can't tell you how many calls I haven't received because they don't call me. They don't, as a bank, they don't. The lender, they don't call you. Right. But you know, this is obviously an advanced strategy. But what's important to understand, and this is the main point I want to make, and where we have sort of evolved and we expanded our business to, is that we're actively in the buying and the selling of these notes so we help educate and teach people how to do creative financing but it's but they can treat it as a transaction more than a, than a long-term cash flow because you know it's really hard to go scratch a check for a hundred thousand dollars and take it out of your account and, and get a and get payment of eight hundred dollars a month That's it's a great return and it's nine hundred dollars a month but you can't you run out of capital really quick if you know lot of people just that they don't even have a hundred thousand dollars but you still run out of cash regardless of what it is so we help to create that opportunity and then we can come in and we can help um, get maximum value for that note and they sell the note and we're a note buyer and when they follow certain checklists of things that need to be done like using an rmlo which is a residential mortgage loan originator, what helps do the underwriting and do the qualification to borrow. Which which, by the way,
0: which, which, um, makes you compliant with Dodd Frank.
1: Absolutely. Makes you, and see all this stuff is stuff we don't do anyway. I mean, we don't personally do, all we do is review and approve. We look at the underwriting file. They do the underwriting, you know, then it goes to servicing. Now the borrower, after we sell them, you know, sell the property, write the note, I sell it to you, and now you're making a payment to whoever our servicing company is. You're not making it to our company. You're making the servicing company. The servicing company then takes that payment for a fee, which is rolled into the note most of the time for the borrower. And then from there, let's say it's a thousand dollars a month payment, and let's say taxes and insurance are another two hundred of that thousand, right? So that's the, the the servicing company will escrow the taxes and insurance, and they'll basically uh, deposit the, the P and I, the principal and interest in our account. It's just that simple. And in the an event of a, a, a slow pay, no pay default status, the serv- the servicing company will step in and, you know, help remedy the problem with our, you know, with our guidance and our, our and what we want to do on it. So there again, it's not difficult. It's just complex, but that's what we have stepped in to do to help the people that want to do five or 10 of these a year because here's the advantage, Joe, This is and this is where I wanted to make this point. Most people that play in the wholesale space or even fix and flip space, what get, throw me throw me out a number. Is it 70 cents on the dollar, 80 cents on the dollar? I know each market's a little different. Some are more aggressive than others, but give me a worst case scenario that you think you'd have to pay to be able to get a deal and be able to fix and flip or Well, if whatever. you're
0: in California, maybe you can get away with 80 cents on the dollar, but in most parts of the country, okay. you need to buy it at 60, 70 cents. 70. and and you're
1: all in and you're all in including your your construction your cost of capital and your rehab can't exceed what 75% yeah i mean so so here's my question and there's a lot of people chasing those deals would you agree oh yeah they're chasing they're just, they're, that's what they're just they're chasing the distressed properties so let me ask you a question so what happens to the stuff that's above 75% what about the stuff that's available at 80% what about stuff at 85%? Yeah.
0: Most people don't know so what it, to do with those.
1: Exactly. And those are huge, huge opportunities. Yeah. And the reason being is because there's, there's little, little to no competition on it. And you can still do the deal structure because when you do the seller finance, cause you can take those down on terms. Yeah. And you, can do them subject to, you can let the seller stay in the deal. You know, these are all things I'm actually writing a book and it's not quite out yet. Maybe it is by the time the podcast, um, uh, gets finished and you know and i mean at the end of this if people that stay on we'll we'll give them a, an email address they can send to and we'll, we'll we can send them some some of the ebook versions but at the end of the day you can still qu- you can still monetize those deals joe i've done numerous deals where there's been negative equity in the deals and the, because you can create the deals that you want if a seller wants here, here's an example i did a deal this was a this has been a few years now the guy wanted a hundred thousand dollars i go i that was re- that was literally retail price, and it was his old. It was his own house. He had owned it and lived in it for years. He had moved out, downsized, and had had a had a renter in there for a number of years. And then basically the renter left, and he was just tired of being a landlord. which is what happens? And he he wanted a hundred thousand dollars, and I go, that's retail. I go, why do you want hundred thousand dollars? I go, eh, it's, you know, it's a round number. I really don't need the money, or whatever. I said so. Okay, here's what I'll do. I will give you the $100,000. I will give you $10,000 cash down. And then I will give you $800 a month until it's paid in full. And his rent was like $700 a month. Plus he was paying taxes and insurance on it. I go, you'll get your $100,000 and I'll pay, I'll give you $800 a month, which is more than you get. And that if, if I go full term, 800 goes in the 990, Uh, About eleven years, eighty-eight, whatever that comes out to be. Which is principal only payments, no interest. I paid zero interest on that. Okay. Yep. So then, what did I do? Well, then I did it. I went and I wrapped the the underlying debt that I have, which was through seller financing, which is perfectly legal. You just got to disclose it, you know. And when you're in the go back to supply and demand. When the demand is so high, and people want to have ownership, and they've been told they can't do it. There's not a there's not a lot of competition to get them excited about the deal.
0: So that's but. a great example. I love that deal. I've done those deals before. Talk about when you're selling that deal, that hundred thousand dollar property. What are the terms that you're selling that on?
1: Yeah, so um, it was probably uh, well, I know exactly what it was. So what I sold it for, I sold it for one hundred five thousand dollars. I got fifteen thousand dollars down,
0: which okay. covered you took the 10 grand you'd had to get to the seller from that 15 grand you got from your buyer.
1: Yep. So I put, I I, I made $5,000 cash on the transaction, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, maybe a little less because there's probably some closing costs and stuff in there, but it it, it was still, this is, remember, this is a negative equity deal. There is no equity in this, in this transaction. And I ended up turning around and putting on a 30 year note for, you know, probably nine and a half, 10%. This is about five, six years ago. So what did I gain out of that? Well, you know, after, you know, so now we've got a cash flow coming in. I'm, I mean, my cash flow on that is probably, you know, $975. I'm paying $800. So I'm, I'm cash flowing it there. So what I did on that, I just accelerated the payoff. I just took the extra principal that I and interest that I was receiving of $175, and I just paid down the underlying debt. I probably, in hindsight, should have left it because I was at 0% interest. Probably want to uh, probably want to uh, uh, make that longer than shorter, but I just did it because I'm you know if I can get, if I can get the cash neutral, I like that better. I like it better because if that buyer defaults or something like that, and I don't have any debt in the deal, and I'm already paid off. Then I have a lot more options on my side. And, I don't, and if you have this you know multiple properties like this, then you don't have to necessarily you know feel like you're pressured because you got an underlying payment due to to a, a private lender or a bank. So, you know, this got accelerated down. I think I had the whole thing paid off in like five or six years. And then at the end, I'm left with a free and clear note, the UPB, the unpaid balance, because remember, I was zero interest, but it was like interest only at zero. I wasn't even paying them. I'm still getting amortized. So let's just say it took me 10 years to get it, which it was a little less than that. The UPB on a $95,000 note in 10 years, it's still $90,000. So if that buyer that I sold that property to decides to move out and sell his house and you know go wherever he is, he's going to call the bank, which is me, and ask for the payoff. The payoff is whatever the payoff is on the amortization. To this day, they haven't paid it off. They're still um, they're still making a payment. So I have a free and clear note of my portfolio. So what? Do, but when that's you the kind of stuff it, that we can do.
0: What what are the terms that you sell it? Nine or ten percent. Is there a balloon that you do? Is it just the no. years, or how do you? St- yeah, no. This is straight. This is no
1: different than a, th- we write our notes. And I strongly advise people to follow this protocol. You want to write paper that's consistent to what other yeah. institutions write. Yeah. Okay. The diff- here's the pr- here the primary difference between an institutional lender like a B of A, Chase, Fargo, whoever, and a private lender. First of all, they have they have compliance and they have guidelines they have to follow. As a as a, as a small equity, low equity, uh, not low equity, as a small cap lender, um, the, really the only thing per Dodd Frank that I have to do is I have to prove that the borrower has the financial capacity to make that payment. That's yeah. it. So if they're paying, if the payment's going to be a thousand dollars a month, I have to prove through income verification, rent. Records, whatever it is that they have, the financial capacity to make the payment. You go to a Chase. A Chase, for example, they are under a whole different set of rules and guidelines. They have a minimum credit score. If it, depending on if it's a uh, you know conventional or jumbo or FHA, there's a credit score tied to that. There's DTI. There's a minimum DTI. Your DTI cannot exceed forty-three percent. Period. I, I, I mean, I don't think they, I don't think they've changed that. I talked about changing it. I don't commercially or on a on a traditional side. I don't really care. But we still follow 43%. And I would say 90% of the, of the seller financing transactions we write are uh, meet the DTI requirement. The, the fundamental difference between what we write and what um, banks don't do is that we write a lot of ITIN borrowers, which is ITIN, which is International Tax Identification Number, which is basically the equivalence of a social security number. And, you know, for people that are in the United States, that pay taxes, that 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 work, they have a job, but they just don't have a social security number. That's one, or they're self-employed. That's two, or you know, they don't have the the credit score. And it's not that they have a bad credit score, although we do consider that too. They just might not even have a credit score because they're underbanked or not banked, or don't. You know, they've been a cash, they've been cash buyers for yeah. for as long as they've been been around. So. Again, those are all just some of the, 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 the factors that, that are used. and um, But at the end of the day, like I said, the key to this model, in my opinion, is trying to keep rent value and ownership cost as close to possible. Because when you have those numbers, and if it's $1,000 to rent or $1,000 to purchase, it becomes a very objective decision for the borrower, right? So the borrower is going, oh, do I want to own for 1000 a month or do I want to rent for 1000 yeah. Whereas if it's twelve hundred or thirteen hundred to buy and nine hundred to rent, that's why some markets is extremely difficult to do this model, and because rent values relative to purchase price is it just doesn't make sense. We can in Texas it's a great place because property taxes are expensive, and that works to our favor. And the reason being is because if you have a rental house and you want a cash flow, guess who's got to you got to pass that cost on. In the form of higher rents. Otherwise, you don't cash flow the deal unless you're in a, you know, in a you know, in a market or a an area that allows you to get, you know, appreciation over time, which is not a good not a good business yeah. model.
0: So, um, how do you find your deals? Do you just yeah. How do you find your deals?
1: Yeah, you know that's another great question, and you know this is this, we've always been, I've always been against the grain. Okay, yeah. what I do. Let me say. Look. There's nothing wrong with being a wholesaler. There's nothing wrong with being a fix and flipper. There's nothing wrong with doing any of that. But I don't like to do what other people do because it's because it's competitive. And I don't, I'm not afraid of competition. What I'm a, what I don't like is inefficiency.
0: Right. Okay. I
1: don't like I don't like wasting time. Hey, you're back. Yeah. I don't yeah. like inefficiency. Okay. And if I've got to go down the street and I got to go knock on, you know, 50 doors to get one deal that's not an efficient process and I come from an operations background. So, you know, processes and operations and uh, all that stuff. And analytics is a very integral part of what we, what we do and how I evaluate stuff. So I would say the majority, that's why I did end up going to seller financing because I guess what I get, Joe, if you understand amortization, right? And I would strongly have people, even if they don't ever write a seller finance deal, understand what amortization is and how it works because when you see what that does it's basically getting all your interest and all your money up front before your a dollar of principal is really paid you know on a 30-year mortgage if the payment is a thousand dollars a month okay it takes 23 years to get the 50 50 of that payment the payment never changes right what changes is what portion of that payment is principal what portion of its interest so it, you got to get the year 23 on the 30-year note. Yep. to have $500 being going to principal and $500 going to interest. In year one, $990, depending on what the interest rate is, goes to interest. 10 goes to principal. That's why in 10 years from now, on a $100,000 note, the principal balance, unpaid balance, is a is, is crazy amount. And I've already got all my money back out of the deal. And my cost basis goes down year after year after year because I'm getting paid up front, but my balance doesn't change. Does that make sense? I don't know if I said that clearly. Enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, how do you find the deals? Are you, are people yeah, so, them to you? Or so are you- my point is, the reason why
1: I say that is because I don't go, because of amortization and because of the ability to create seller financing and creative deal, deals is that I don't have to pay a competitive price. It gets back. I can pay more. I don't have to be in the 75%, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I can
1: pay it. I can be in the 80 to 85%. I have no competition there because, Joe, if I hold the note, I create the note, let's just use 10% on $100,000. It's easy math. Interest, 10% interest on $100,000 is how much? It's $10,000, okay? So in one year, the difference, just in one year, no everything else is fairly the, uh, the same. The difference is if I'm willing to wait one year, I can pay... $80,000 instead of $70,000 that's it but I still got the back end of the deal I still got 29 more years on the deal to make another th- another $10,000 another 10,000 I'm just deferring that's all that I'm doing and it allows me time and I don't I don't I'm not negative cash flow I never go into negative cash flow and any deal and I'm usually cash positive or cash neutral because I still get the transactional play which is the down payment on the deal so if I'm getting ten thousand dollars cash down payment on a hundred thousand dollar property, even after I pay marketing fees and closing costs, I still got almost as much money as somebody would, would, that was going to wholesale the deal anyway. So I get the I, so the, the short answer to your question, I get stuff off MLS, I get stuff off MLS because I can, and I get I, I get a lot of stuff from wholesalers because they're going to let them negotiate at seventy five cents on a dollar, and I'll pay them eighty cents on the dollar. And that's basically it. I I was just talking to somebody.
0: um, Who was this yesterday? Oh, I just, I, I've been talking to, I've been doing so many podcasts. I forgot (laughs) what they did was, um, oh, who was this? So they were saying how, um, I forget. Anyway, this one particular deal, the, uh, the seller. Oh, I wish I could remember who this was. But the, what happened was the wholesaler was trying to sell it for a certain price and they were really struggling to get that price. Oh, I remember what it was. It was an interview on another podcast. Okay, this is what it was. And so the guy thought he had a good deal and uh, he wasn't able to sell it to his list of cash buyers. But one creative guy came to him and said, hey, listen, I can buy this if the seller is willing to do a subject to for a short like six months while we do the rehab and then we'll turn around and sell it. So what they've done now is they they bought it subject to, and uh, they went ahead and rehabbed it, and now they're selling it on a land contract, owner financing, sure. they created a wrap. And this wholesaler now, instead of getting the $10,000 assignment fee that they're hoping to get, they're getting a lot more than that because they were they were partnering with this other investor that came in and structured a creative financing deal. And now, I don't know what the numbers are, but they're going to be making double that because they are, are are able to give the seller um i don't remember i remember what it was nobody the other cash buyers weren't coming to buy the deal because it wasn't high it wasn't low enough right right but the guy enough- he was he was going to have to cancel the contract and walk away, but then he was able to go back to the seller and save the deal by offering something creative like a subject to to take over the mortgage for a short period of time and then actually they kept it longer then did a um land contract. You know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and here's why that's extremely important in my opinion. One, good deals are hard to come by they have been for for years. So, you know, the ability to be able to get a, what I call, we've all, I played in the fringe for a long time. So, and what I mean by fringe is like, if you draw a box, right, you have a box, and then you draw another box around the box, the area that between the two boxes is the area we played in. And it all started back you know, eight, seven, eight years ago when hedge funds were really big into going and buying properties. Well, I can't compete against a hedge fund. They have, they have so much patient capital and they have so much cheap capital. We can't, I can't compete. So I said, okay, well, let me go to an area where they don't want to be right. Dig. You know, which is at the time was they wanted three bedroom, two bath, 1985 or newer. Okay. Well then I'm not going to look at anything newer than 1985 or, you know, I'll look for stuff that's got one bath instead of, you know, two. And maybe it's whatever. And that's what you have to do. So you have to take advantage of these opportunities. You make a lot of money just hitting singles. You know, you're a big baseball fan. And you know, you know. I think people get too enamored by the fact that, you know, I was just reading a report. The average fix and flip yields about $60,000. I think that's a roughly a number. It's down a few bucks. That's great. Okay. But if it takes you 180 days to do it, you know... That's a where you can go do a you know uh, something else and make five or ten thousand in five or six days. The, the, the velocity is just so much greater. But more importantly, you got to capitalize on deals that are what you, what most people think are marginal because there's there's profit and there's money to be made in that stuff. You got to stop looking, trying to get the home run and looking for the ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollar paydays, and and missing all the opportunities to do a little a little, you know, 2 or 3,000 dollar transaction that falls right in your lap. I mean, that's the, that's the name of this game.
0: I just did a search on Redfin in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And it's a big area. Very competitive, super competitive, right? Super I did competitive. A search here for homes between 100000 dollars and $175,000, 3+ bedroom houses only, all right? That have been on the market over 90 days. Now, Dallas is a hot market, right? Look, at, there's 242 homes right now on the market that have been on the market in that price range for over 90 days. Do you think maybe you could find one or two deals here from a seller that might be getting a little motivated that you could buy at 85, 80, 85 cents on the dollar with some creative financing?
1: Absolutely. There's a you lot you might of even be able to pay him, You may even be able to pay them closer to their asking price if you get the right terms.
0: I mean, this is a nice house here. Bowie, Texas. I'm not afraid of the small towns. I love the small towns by the way. Sure. And I I would say that there's more opportunity in small towns because there's less competition. I mean, this is a real nice house, right? It's been on the market for 90 days. Who knows what's going on? Why hasn't it sold yet? It's probably maybe either needs a little bit too much work or it's overpriced or whatever, right? This type of a house that's been on the market now for three, four months. What, uh, you you approach the realtor of this property. What what do you tell them?
1: Well, I mean, I think you come in and you you know, uh, and you just tell me exactly. Be as transparent as you need to be to say I'm, I can buy this. I'm willing to buy this property, but I need I need uh, I need some terms on it. You got to remember that not all sellers need cash or one cash. I mean, I think that's a big. I think that's probably the biggest thing that people have to understand is one of the biggest things is that not everybody wants cash. This guy's asking 149. What's the price on this one? I'm just looking. So why is he asking 149? Well, you know, uh, is it because he owes 147 and he needs $2,000 to go move? Is it because, you know, it was an investment property and he's trying to get cash out. I mean, they're all deals are different. You don't know you need to know the motivation of it, but you can offer full, you can get close to full asking price. Look, if this seller would carry back terms for one year at, you know, no interest or low interest, which I'm telling you right now, people <laughs> will will agree to it. I'm just, you think not, but I'm just going to oh, yeah. ask. This is this. I is mean, really I just cool. can't I can't say it clearer than that. You just got to ask.
0: This is why the house hasn't sold yet. You know the toilet's in in the in the in the tub, right? That's multitasking, Joe. Yeah, is that multitasking? <laughs> take a shower while you're pay. sitting on the toilet. I love yeah, that's it. That's
1: nice. Okay, yeah, you see now there's they already started doing some work there. You see, a paint can. Yeah. But to your point, this is probably uh, I don't know if it shows a value on it, but they're probably asking fairly close to retail. So can you well, get? What if you I mean?
0: offered them retail? Right. And he said, "Listen, maybe I can get you the 149.5 that you need for this house, um, if you'd be willing to owner finance it, right? Absolutely, you could offer no them offer them their price on your terms. You could say, Absolutely. and this is a crazy, Nick, that I've done before. It works really, really well. We actually, I sent out letters to in one zip code to free and clear homes. Did you know one third of all homes in the United States are free and clear, did not have a mortgage." Yeah. I sent, I sent out a letter saying, hey, listen, we this is a letter of intent. I know this is out of the blue, but I'd like to buy your property. I'm an investor and buy more properties in the area. And I will make you a full-priced offer if you're willing to do owner financing. And what I did is I attached the letter of intent that had the Zillow value. I said, I'll buy your house at Zillow value minus in your repairs, and I'll pay you um well, I took the zestimate rent. And I cut that in half. So if the property just round numbers, would rent for $1,000, the estimate said, I told them I would pay you $500 a month until paid, principal only payments. But I'll offer you, if Zillow says it's worth $150,000, I'll give you $150,000 minus repairs. And uh, I was shocked at how many responses I got back. I got a lot of angry responses. People really, really mad for whatever reason. But um, I did, are just gonna be mad, Joe. <laughs> I'm giving them full price. Why would they be upset with that? I know, but I, know. Um, I was shocked at how many people called me and said, "You know what? This is really interesting. I've never thought of this." You mean like I don't have to go in and fix it up? I don't have to go and clean it and t- list it with a realtor? And I said, "No, come on. This is just let's well, just do it."
1: Yeah, that's what the eye buyers are trying to do. I, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quiz you here, Joe, because it's, I, I mean I should have probably said this in the first ten minutes, but, but you know whatever. Go, as we finish up talking about creative deal structuring and seller financing and stuff like that. I'm gonna to I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a steak dinner on the line here, okay? If you're within 10% of this number, I, yeah, I, I'll give you 10%. In 2018, how, what's the dollar amount of seller financing that was done in the United States? Now that's non-bank 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 loans seller financing oh I take a swag of what the United States
0: number is seller financing for houses seller
1: seller financing then that could be anything seller financed from it could be single family it could be uh, land it could be business okay a lot of businesses are sold uh seller finances on terms too But just take a swag at the total, because there's money in all that stuff. I mean, there's money in seller financing and land, and land is no different than a house. The same process from buying it, to selling it, or flipping it, or any of that stuff. A lot of guys have made a lot of money doing land. It's a lot less headache, by the way. But just take a swag on what do you think, how much was done in 2018?
0: I have no idea, 500 million. 500
1: million, wow, okay. You're wrong. Okay. I'll tell you, $26 billion. B, billion with a B. Wow. $26 billion. I my cal- You know what? I tried to put $26 billion in my calculator, and I was two or three zeros short. I couldn't do it. I had asked Siri to calculate a, an equation for me because <laughs> there it wasn't. It's a huge huge piece of this business that no one knows about how many HGTV shows do you see talking about seller seller financing creative deal structure it doesn't exist it's just not sexy but there's more money than you made doing this and that's exactly why we do it the numbers only going to go up here's the other here's another thing when you write a note even 15 year note okay and maybe it's 20 maybe it's 30 okay in the last five years five years there's been over a hundred billion hundred billion dollars in seller created paper that's out there right now so there's a huge market and that's why there's a play on it and there's buyers for that paper and that's and i'm a buyer that's why we teach and we do what we do because now i can scale this and now i can go out and buy paper anywhere in the united states i don't have to get in you know deal with it on a local level and necessarily have to go and find the property fix the property find the buyer sell it and get the same thing. I can get, I can get, I can scale this. So, yeah. but that's a huge, huge number. And I think it's, and, and for anybody that, uh, that's is, huge, it's a huge number. And it's all I got to say on that. So, cool. Um, I don't, the one other thing I want to bring up, I don't know if you've talked about this in the past and this is something I don't do a lot of wholesaling, but I tell you what, um, there is, there is a pause for concern in the, in, in the wholesaling moving forward that I think people need to really start being prepared for and be cognizant of what's coming down the pike. Uh, State of Illinois just recently had some new legislation passed, um, which basically prohibits wholesaling period. Um, You know, there's, I mean, there's, it's, it's really now look, it's Illinois. Let's be honest. I mean, Illinois is not Texas or Georgia or North Carolina. Or even you would want to live there Any The other 40. <laughs> well, no, but you know, it's it's corrupt for a lot of different <laughs> ways. But I'm not saying this is corrupt, but let's just what I'm saying is just kidding. There's the reason why the reason why they're doing it is because they're trying to protect the buyer. But you know what? That's what they try to do with Dodd-Frank, also. And let's be kind honest with you, it didn't really do that much for the buyer because at the end of the day, they're the ones that they had to pay for all this underwriting and all the RMLO and all the stuff that goes along with it. So, but It doesn't matter the reason why or the validity of it, but you're going to be required to become a realtor in the state of Illinois if you want to do more than one transaction a year. So will all states follow? Probably not. But where I'm going with this, I've already seen in a number of states and you probably as well, the ability to be able to wholesale and flip a contract without taking it down is becoming extremely difficult, more difficult in most states without getting caught. I mean, you can you can go fix and flip a house and not get a permit and get away with it, but to continue to do it over and over again, you're playing with fire. So I just think, you know, for the buyers that are out there that are looking at stuff that are limited on cash, you know, I think things like uh, private money is gonna be a, a real in, integral part of being able to do deals because I think it's gonna be critical that you're able to take deals down with cash, either through a transactional funding, um, i know you know matt bell and matt bell is a friend of mine too and they have a big transactional funding that just went no. nationwide
0: he just said look. uh here it is look at this what's up dudes bringing the thunder today bringing the
1: thunder today get it done yeah i know there's a um you know uh easy button lending it's gonna be a transaction primarily transactional funding but some other stuff they also do all kinds of other lending on a nationwide bat- on the nationwide platform but it doesn't you, get, you need to look at stuff on a transactional basis because as things you got to look, you got to look to the future, not the past. I mean, that's how all business are evaluated. They look at the what your future opportunity is not what the past performance necessarily is. And you really got to start doing this kind of stuff unless you're sitting on a big stack of cash and you're a major, major wholesaler, even a major wholesalers, you want, here's the other, the other reason why double closing I think is of, of extreme value because it's, it's, it takes the transparency out of the equation, right? It doesn't really anybody's business how much you're making on a deal, right? If it, if it works for the for the seller and it works for the buyer, they should give two rips of what you're making on. It. I never care, but a lot of people get get you know sideways by that. And there's a lot of deals that are lost. And is it really worth a couple couple bucks, couple grand? You know, they lose a twenty thirty thousand dollar deal. I don't think so. But anyway, I just I only I just was reading the article on the, on the state of Illinois in the state of yeah. Illinois. And I just think that, you know, go Google it, go look it up, look at, you know, um, you know, wholesaling in Illinois. And it's like a 190 page report, but there's only really like one page or one paragraph that really says what you can and can't do. So anyway, just yeah,
0: FYI all right so listen we got to wrap this up nick how can people get a hold of you you mentioned something about a book you have right
1: yeah so you know if, uh, for anybody uh, we're we're still still finishing up uh, the final edits um but anybody that is interested in either our, our passive note investing it wants just having a little more i think education is critical in this space i mean uh the ability to go out and learn uh the beauty of what we do is there's so much information there's you know there's guys like yourself joe that provide a great service from an educational piece to to, the, to your to your audience. I mean, there's stuff on YouTube. There's you know, when I started in real estate almost 20 years ago, there wasn't there wasn't gurus around. I mean, there just wasn't. And then there surely wasn't REI clubs and there wasn't, you know, programs. You sort of sort of did it by the seat of your, your pants and hope that you got it right. And you know, a lot of a lot of people didn't get it right and they, they lost a lot of a lot of money and time and stuff. So the best thing to do is send a email to support which is just like it sounds support at usa so support at usa just like it sounds cool and just uh, uh, you, yep uh, that's it send it send the request there um, we can send you an, an ebook on the, on the passive uh, on our passive note investing i think that's a value um, I'll get them to you. So, if you want to post them on your site, I'm not charging anything for these. I am, I'm a firm believer of education. If I can help educate people, just like yourself, and help them not make the mistakes or prevent them from making mistakes that I've either made or seen other people make, it's going to come back to me in in in, in the long term anyway. Because I'm going to get you know people are going to bring. Hey, I'm in California, but my brother's got a deal in Texas. You interested? Absolutely. So I like paying it forward. Uh, we have the passive note investing uh, ebook. We'll have the one on seller financing, and we'll also have the one on transactional funding that talks about some of those things we talked about. And we'll probably, you, we'll make them available on the site and send them all out.
0: Are you working with Matt on easybuttonlending.com? Yeah.
1: We are. actually are, yes. Look at that. So Easy There button, it is. Easybuttonlending.com. Matt there you is go. One of you my my you a really good guy. Yeah, he's a good dude, man. So I think we'll see each other in a week, or so whatever yes, we right. yeah, So I remember
0: okay Nick you thank you so much guys easybuddy if you want rental financing for the burr strategy transactional money? yep hard money um, what are the what's the new term for it now if you, if you need it for like three days um, that's the transactional funding Just transactional funding a, yeah Fleck, I would what's say the, it is. there's another term for it I forget like uh, anyway um, or send an email for this book and the materials that Nick was talking about support at USA note pro dot com thanks for being on the show nick sure appreciate it when you're here in st louis thanks for having go, me we'll go to a cardinals game or a blues game depending on when you're one here. one of
1: the two they're both good
0: and i uh, have a steak well you I, I guess i owe you a steak because i was so far well, you, you didn't you
1: didn't theoretically or technically take the bat <laughs> i sort of i sort of suck you into it maybe we'll just do a, a cheeseburger or something keep i'll, it, I'll keep eat it anything possible.
0: on the hill let's go have dinner on the hill and that's exactly where we're gonna go all right
1: Go to Jerry's or something. Peace out. Thanks, guys.
0: Everybody, thanks a lot. If you want the show notes and the links and everything that we talked about, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. Realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes and the links and everything we talked about, even the transcription of this podcast. All right. We'll see you guys later. Take care. Bye-bye.